Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 1? And we have come to verse 29. The context where we find ourselves involves three consecutive days. We've already studied the first of those days, which was the day when John the Baptist was confronted by a delegation from Jerusalem, mainly from the Pharisees. And they asked him questions about who he was, why was he baptizing, doing the things that he was doing, preaching the message that he preached. We have identified John the Baptist as that unique character of the Bible who is the only one of his kind in this sense. He is both the end of the Old Testament prophets and the beginning of Christian or New Testament preachers. His message is the bridge between the two. And so we carefully examine the answer of John the Baptist to these on that first day. And what he began telling them was, as we identified last time, the elements of the Christian message. That continues, and we continue to build on, on those particular elements. We continue to build on those here on the second day. This is a little bit different setting in that it doesn't just include the delegation, but now it's those men who were in that delegation, but it also includes the crowds who were coming to, to listen to his preaching. I want us to continue to consider closely how John introduces what will be the Christian message. So we already, we already saw the first three or four points of that and we continue here beginning in verse 29. On the next day, he sees Jesus coming to him and he says, let me remind you that at the close of John's gospel, in his final remarks, he says to those who would read or listen to his gospel, I have written these things that you might know to paraphrase, that Jesus is the Son of God and that you would believe on his name. Every, John's gospel is different. We've covered that. It's, there are the synoptic gospels and then there's John's gospel. And most of what John writes is not seen in the other three gospels. We spent some time about how John introduced God the Son, the Christ of God, Logos, the Word. 
And so now we're, when we get out of John the Baptist's message of bridging the Old to the New Testament, the Old Testament message to the New Testament message, and sort of laying a foundation for the ministry that Christ begins and the message of the apostles uh, that would come, we, we have to be reminded that everything that John is writing to us, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Everything that he gives to us has the purpose of people coming to Christ, coming to recognize who Jesus of Nazareth the one who walked on the earth was God, God in the flesh and demonstrating his power. So that message, the foundation of that message continues here. Jesus coming, John the Baptist says, the assumption is that John the Baptist and Jesus are cousins and John is about six months or so older than Jesus. And that surely they, they knew each other as cousins. Mary did not hesitate to go and, and visit Elizabeth. It wasn't, and she didn't hide the fact that she was carrying a child. And you know the story in another gospel of how John the Baptist in her womb leapt for joy when Mary came because of the Christ that she was carrying. You know that story. So they must have known each other or something about each other. But after, after Jesus is seen as a 12-year-old boy in the temple, and then after John the Baptist is seen, having been born in Luke 1, for almost 30 years in the case of John and and 20 years in the case of Jesus, they lived lives of obscurity. So as each was being prepared for his ministry, they may have grown apart. I don't know. They certainly would have known about each other. But they didn't know each other in light of the distinct ministries that each would have as revealed in the scripture. Now with that understanding, he knows surely that Jesus is his cousin, maybe has seen him from time to time, but now it's different. We're going to see how this fits into the Christian message, to the gospel message, to the evangelism of people who are unsaved. I want to extract four thoughts from these two slides today. The first one comes from this text at this point. John says, behold, the Lamb of God, taking away the sin of the world. If we put all of the gospel accounts together, John the Baptist has made it very clear. And we saw it here earlier in John's gospel. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the prophet. I'm not Elijah. I am a voice 
crying in the wilderness. Isaiah 40. There is one designated voice in the wilderness prophesied. We learn later that he would come in the spirit of Elijah. He would not be that Elijah that comes just prior to the second coming of Christ. But this one comes in the spirit of Elijah. The voice, the one crying in the wilderness who cries out, prepare the way of the Lord. The only way people can be prepared for the Lord to bring them to himself is that the Lord himself would divinely intervene in a spiritually dead life and by grace raise that person to a new life, to a new birth. The first identification with regard to John's gospel that John the Baptist makes, John the Baptist, who is the preacher of the day, thousands of people coming and they are marching through the waters of the Jordan River to be baptized with John's baptism. Behold, the Lamb of God taking away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. Okay, here are these guys probably. Now this is the gospel according to Charles. You can take this or leave it. But I'm thinking of how those guys were thinking. There's an old country song. And apparently this woman who was to be taken out on a date was disappointed. And she asks the question in that country song, did I shave my legs for this? So they, so they come, I, I come up with the best thing I can when I think of it. They have come from Jerusalem out in the middle of nowhere to, and their garbs and, and all, you know, their garments of, of glory and they're asking these deep theological questions. I've told you earlier in this passage that it was the time for the Christ to show up, according to Daniel. It was the right place. It was the right time. These are the right people. So there's a, an excitement among those around Jerusalem and especially the most devout Jews who were, who were students of, the, of their scriptures. It is the time for the manifestation of the Messiah. They would expect, having conveniently overlooked the Old Testament prophecies of a suffering servant, Christ. They bypassed that and went right through to the Christ who comes in glory and power in his second coming. And so on the edge of their seats, they would be watching and listening to John the Baptist. And here comes a penniless carpenter. Seemingly very plain steps into the water and all of a sudden John says I'm sure with a, a cry a loud voice behold the Lamb of God wait a minute 
Is this the best you can do? Expecting perhaps the prophet of Deuteronomy. Expecting perhaps Elijah, the precursor of the Christ. Expecting the Christ himself on a white horse with heaven's crown on his head thinking that he would call all of Israel to himself and make a mighty army and overthrow Rome and just establish the kingdom then and there. No. The Lamb of God. This is a sacrificial lamb because it takes away the sin of the world. All of the Jews who were there being baptized and those who had come as representatives from Jerusalem, they would have understood the meaning of a sacrificial lamb. John the Baptist introduces the Christ and this continues the Christian message. Our Lord came to serve his people and to save us from our sin. And the only way he could do it was for our sins to be placed upon him and his purity and his righteousness to be placed upon us. Thus, vicariously, Christ carries my sin to the cross and puts it away within and upon himself, buries it away, and then emerges from the tomb as that which I am in the sight of God, namely, a resurrected and redeemed saint, sinless, guiltless, and pure. But before this happens, you have to take the position of a sinner. I'm a sinner. I do wrong things every day. I think wrong things. I, I walk in the wrong way. I, I, I'm not a pure and spotless person. But if God will provide for me a lamb, I will do the thing that God has said and I will heavily press my hands upon the head of that lamb and in my heart before God say, this is me, this is me in your sight. If you will let this lamb be me, then I can be the purity of this lamb. All the way through the Old Testament, the lamb was presented as a sacrifice. The family, each family present its sacrifice, its lamb. It became a special day in the life of Israel, the, Pas the Day of Atonement, the Passover lamb uh, uh, in, the, uh, in the book of the Exodus. The, uh, the Passover lamb, the Paschal lamb, and then later on the Day of Atonement. And not only that, but daily, the morning and evening sacrifices, a spotless lamb, a, an acknowledgement of personal sin and a need for the sin to be removed in a divine way, in a way that only God could remove it. And by a by a substitute with an atonement that only God could provide. Because in all of the world, there is nothing perfect unless God says, I'm going to accept this thing as a spotless thing in your behalf. And then God would declare that I'm justified 
on behalf of my sin going to the otherwise sinless lamb and the purity of the lamb coming into my life to give me its purity. Vicarious death, substitutionary death, atonement, and now justification. This is, this is the next element of the Christian message. You're a sinner. There's only one who can take away your sin. Look at the word here, taking away the sin of the world. You see that taking away right there? Taking away the sin of the world. There it is. It's a, it's a beautiful, it's, it's a, in the Greek text, it's a present participle active. Let me tell you what that means. That means that always and forever, the taking away of sin is singularly the work of the Lamb of God given by God. It's in the present which means that it's a continuous and habitual action and it's in the active which also means that the, that the subject is the one who works through the verb. That is, only the Lamb of God is the one who continually takes away actively only himself the sin of the world. He's my savior. There's nothing I can do to add to that. This is the Christian message. Christ came to save the lost, to save the unsaved. Before you can be saved, you must acknowledge that you're a sinner. You must confess to being a sinner. Admit that you're a sinner. And you're in need of something that only God can provide. And that which God provides never stops doing his work. That's the language. You can't wiggle out of that Greek text. That's the way it was given by the Holy Spirit and it's never changed. Only Christ, only the Lamb provided by God who is Jesus of Nazareth can take my sin away. There is nothing I can do. Not one thing I can do. Not a thing. There is not one single step, not one single mode of behavior, not one single action, nothing. I need Christ plus nothing. This is the message, the Christian message, as it continues to be built by John the Baptist. The Lamb of God taking away the sin of the world, not sins, not in the plural, but in the singular, the sin and really the, the appropriate and I should have translated it such. Of the cosmos, it's cosmu, which means that it was of the world. Of the cosmos. The whole universe in which I live is a fallen thing. It is destined finally for destruction. The first heaven and the first earth will pass away. No matter. The Lamb of God, who is Logos, remember... God the Son who created everything and at the great white throne will cause everything to fly away in its demise will then recreate and give to us the new heaven and the new earth. He is my Savior personally 
He is the Savior of every generation, the world, cosmos, and not just of Jews, but of Gentiles, the whole world, included in cosmos. The book of Acts teaches us how he, he even redeems the animal kingdom and ultimately redeems the whole universe. The elements, Peter said, will melt with fervent heat. Behold the Lamb of God taking away the sin of the world. We're looking for a king. We're looking for an army. We're looking for a leader unlike the world has ever known. And you give to us a guy that you describe as a lamb and it's him. He looks like nothing. Number two. John will follow up so that no one will misunderstand what he's saying. It is concerning he whom I said, this is the guy, John the Baptist says. After me comes a man who has precedence over me because he was before me. He is the highest of rank and he is eternal. He has no beginning, even though in the flesh he was six months younger than John. In reality, he was always before John. Logos, remember? In Arche and Halaga, in, in the ultimate beginning was Logos, the Logos, the Word. The Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning, so he's before the beginning with God. All things through him came into existence, and apart from him, nothing was made that has been made. We've studied that already. Don't lose sight of it. This is the one who humbly comes to John, the Baptist, identifying himself now with his own people. It is concerning he whom I said, after me comes a man who has precedence over me because he was before me. This is the one I came to preach about. This message is being used by God to draw Jews from everywhere by the thousands daily. And they are walking and passing through these baptismal waters because my message of truth that he is here and you're not ready for him has moved the Jews to come, all of Israel to come and to walk through the Jordan River to be baptized with John's baptism. Another point added to the Christian message. You can't save yourself. There is nothing you can do to prepare yourself to be said. Nothing. God must call you. God does it all. We worship God, the Savior. He's not mostly my Savior. He is completely my Savior. Third point. And I knew him not but that he might be revealed to Israel. Because of this, I came baptizing with water. He says, I knew him not. 
Eden. From Odin. Eden. It's a Greek word that means to be clarified. It's not gnosis. It's Odin. It's a different word. He knew cousin Jesus. But it was only according to God's purpose and in God's timing that he came to realize that Jesus of Nazareth is the Lamb of God. And he could not conjure this up himself. I knew him not. I didn't know him that way. All these years I've known cousin Jesus. I never saw him that way. But we're going to see in the next slide, God made him to see it. But that he might be revealed to Israel. Because of this, I came baptizing with water. People will come unsaved, grudgingly, to hear a sermon. To listen to a testimony, to let some relative share a passage of scripture. And this may go on month after month, year after year, until at a certain time, that person has revealed to him by God that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that he came into this world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. To reveal to a person that he is a hopeless, helpless sinner. That's a thing of God. The natural behavior, the natural reaction of a man to himself is that he's wonderful. That he does good things and he's proud of it. And looks around and says like the proud Pharisee, I'm better than a lot of these people and surely I will go to heaven. This is the way man looks at himself generally in his deadness of sin until God causes him to be born again. And then when God calls him, God opens his mind and reveals to him what a treacherous worm he really is. And the only thing he can do is collapse into the presence of a sovereign God and say, forgive me. My lips are unclean. My mind is unclean. My actions are unclean. I am unclean. God saves that person. So, you won't know him until he's revealed to you. It's impossible. It's impossible. And because of this, I came baptizing with water. I came to make the people realize that they weren't as good as they thought they were because compared to the Christ of God, they are nothing. And so they came with John's baptism that they might be prepared for the manifestation of the Christ. And John bore witness saying, 
I have beheld the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and it remained upon him Samson in the Old Testament. For example, before he would be used of Yahweh to deliver Israel with his mighty strength, the spirit came on him. And then he came on him again and again. It remained upon him. And I knew him not. But the one having sent me to baptize with water, he said to me, upon whom you shall see the spirit descending and abiding on him. He's the one. He's the one. Let's go back up. This one thing is what I came for. To begin to preach that we're all unprepared for the manifestation of the Christ. And then upon a certain time, there he was. And upon the certain time, the spirit said to me, and the one who sent me said to me, <coughs> the one upon whom you see the spirit descending and abiding on, he's the one. He sent me to baptize with water. I've been baptizing people because by the, by the multitudes, they've acknowledged that they're not ready. They don't really know anything about the Christ, but they want to. And this was John's baptism. It's not the Christian baptism, but it's John's baptism. And now, after all this preaching and after all these people wanting to be prepared, now at this moment, God has spoken to John the Baptist and says, okay, John, now's the time. Here he comes. When you see the spirit descend on him like a dove, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, says the other gospels. What, Matthew 3? He's the one. When you see that, you will know he's the one. John saw it. The first thing he could do was say, behold, the Lamb of God taking away the sin of the world. Fourth thing. Now understand the Lamb of God. It's very clear in Isaiah 53, for example, that the Messiah would come as a lamb led to the slaughter bruised and chastised and all those horrible things. Did you know that I've read that many Jewish Bibles today do not include Isaiah 53? If they have it there, they explain it by saying that Isaiah was speaking about himself. The Lamb of God. Psalm 22, you would think that you were standing at the foot of the cross It's the words, the beginning of that psalm are the words Christ cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabacha. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then it describes the horrors of the crucifixion a thousand years before it ever happened. Zechariah chapter 12. The Jews are being overrun. 
by the Antichrist and his forces, by the world. And they are planning, the world is planning on destroying and killing every one of them until suddenly the Christ comes the second time. And Zechariah prophesies of the Christ. They will look upon the one whom they have pierced. These people should have understood that his first coming would be as a humble servant to die for sinners. Oh, but these Pharisees and these Israelites, they could not see themselves as sinners. They only saw themselves as of the, of the bloodline of Abraham and having obeyed in their self-righteousness the law. He only comes for sinners, you see. He is the one baptizing with the Holy Spirit. He can save you. I can only preach the message of preparation. I can only tell you about how you're unprepared in and of yourself, that you need him to be your savior. I can only tell you about it, but I can't save you. Only he can save you. He is the one baptizing with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Just because people wanted to bypass the humility of the suffering servant Christ in the Old Testament doesn't mean that God has forsaken his plan or his purpose. God continues right on schedule to finally and ultimately redeem his own who will live with him into the ages of the ages and give to him the glory and the honor and the power. The Son of God. This means, what this means is, John the Baptist is saying, this is the manifestation of God. You remember back up, verse, I don't know, 15, 16. No man has seen God, but the Son has explained him. He has exegeted him. God became a man. If you want the explanation of God, the only place that you can find it is in the life of Christ. Study the Gospels. You will see God doing good, saving the lost, disregarding the self-righteousness of men, but taking in the humbled, the repentant, the sinners, the faithful, taking them into himself, granting to them eternal life. This is the Son of God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he came into this world to save sinners. The only way to be saved is to start out being lost, understanding that, admitting 
sin. Only God can reveal that to you. And when the revelation comes into your life that you are a sinner, only God can call you and move you into his salvation. If you're here today without Christ and you would come to Christ today, in just a moment we'll stand. We'll sing a song of invitation. In the act of standing, you are invited to come and take me by the hand and just say, Pastor, I want to be saved. Let me talk to you and pray with you. Maybe you're here. God leads you to come and be a part of this congregation. To be a part of Shiloh, the Shiloh family and the way that we receive members. If, if you want to come publicly and express that, you can do that during this invitation. If you have questions that you won't dealt with privately and you don't come publicly, but you want to deal with it today, we have deacons and deacons' wives in the rooms right across the hall as you exit this sanctuary. And you can go in and they can deal with all of these things. And you can do there what you could do here if that's how God leads you to do it. Father in heaven, Lord, I pray that you'll bless this time of invitation. Use it according to your glory. And we will praise you for whatever happens. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and let's sing.